at one of the parishes where I had a school, there was a particular day that I was working on the budget for the following year, and we were not having a very good financial year. I was just sweating bullets trying to figure out what to cut so I wouldn't have to get to the question of who to cut. And we were, I was right there. So just really pouring over this and concentrating with every fiber of my being. When a knock at the door came and then stepped a teacher from the school and said, I need to talk to you. And I was a little bit annoyed. I'm trying to figure this out. I'm worried about having to lay people off and, you know, looked at her and realized she's near tears. So come in. She had a seat and I said, what's going on? And she said, I just don't know that I can teach here anymore. And I said, oh, well, what's going on? Are the, you know, the faculty or the principal being a problem for you? Oh, no, no, we have a great faculty and wonderful principal. Or well, the students, are they doing something? Oh, no, 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 the students are fantastic. So, well, what's going on? She said, I don't know that I can handle these parents anymore. <laughs> you know, I said, well, and I'm thinking somebody got in her face, you know. And I said, well, what's going on? And she said, well, and she explained to me, In the religion class, they had started this unit about social justice, and this is the junior high age group, and she asked them to, as part of getting into social justice, about what the students thought they could do for the homeless, for the poor. And one of the boys said, well, my father said, we don't have to help the homeless and the poor. And she said, what do you mean? said, well, my father always says it's their fault, so we don't have to help them. All righty then. And then she said, one of the little girls said, well, I'm afraid of, 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 the, of the poor. And Well, I said, oh, really? And she said, yeah. And I asked her why she was afraid. She said, well, my mother always taught me that the street people, they like to kidnap children and you don't ever see them again. Of course, what was mom trying to do? She was trying to get her daughter to be safe and be prudent. But here's a 14-year-old, 13, 14-year-old now who is scared to death of of street people. And not just scared because sometimes they can be a little aggressive or mentally ill, but just generically now scared to death. But the kicker was that one of the boys said that his mother always told them when they were walking around uh, the area that if somebody was poor or homeless... Uh, were there, don't look them in the eye. And saying that if you don't look them in the eye, uh, they go away. Just pretend they don't exist. And that's what a lot of us have learned. To pretend they don't exist. And here is this rich man dressed in purple garments who learned to pretend they don't exist. It says purple garments, you know, well, who cares what he's wearing, except purple was the absolute hardest dye to make. It comes from some mollusk from the sea, and it, it was just absolutely unaffordable, except maybe to the top one or two percent of the wealthy or the royalty. So this man is doing really well in life. But we want to know what doesn't happen. This man 
never mistreated Lazarus at all. He didn't hassle him, didn't try to run him off, didn't have the police try to arrest him. Just let him stay there. He did nothing bad to Lazarus. They die. And, of course, we get the story of their separation. And here, from torment, the rich man doesn't exactly abuse Lazarus, but even while he is in torment in the netherworld, he now starts using Lazarus. He doesn't say, Father Abraham, can you give me a sip of water? It's hot down here. He says, Father Abraham, tell Lazarus to dip his finger in water so it might touch my tongue. Make Lazarus do it. He uses Lazarus. First he acts as if he doesn't exist, and now he's using the man. And then he does it again. Send Lazarus to my brothers to warn them so they won't end up here. Well, Abraham could have said, warn them about what? Because even with this, the rich man still has not come to understand his sin. There's no recognition of what he did wrong. Now, Luke, when he writes, and it's perfectly legitimate to do this uh, in in their way of of recording things, uh, Jesus' parable is here, but then Luke does adapt it, changes it up a little bit for his own purposes. And that is, what do I say to people that are reading the gospel and I'm preaching to? What do I say to them when they ask, Jesus rose from the dead. Why didn't everybody convert? Why didn't everybody become followers of Jesus? And not seeing mass conversions, they're getting a little disheartened and some are starting to wander off a little bit. Now, note, the rich man says, send Lazarus. And Abraham says, no. No, I'm not going to warn your brothers. I'm not going to do it, and I'm not sending Lazarus. And then, of course, the rich man reasons, well, if someone rose from the dead and talked to them, then they'd pay attention. Well, of course, the original readers of this, this would have really, for them, it would have been knee-slapping funny because Jesus did rise from the dead. But there's still people who don't believe But Abraham says, no, we're not going to warn them. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. And if if, if they're not listening to them, even if someone should rise from the dead, that's not going to change them. Nowhere here is wealth condemned. Nowhere. In fact, the Jewish people believe that Wealth was a blessing from God. It was an outward sign that God really, truly loved you. But when God gave wealth to a person, he gave it for a purpose. And the purpose was to be generous and care for those who cannot care for themselves. 
Now, it's, it's not this whole notion, socialist notion of you give up everything you absolutely don't need for the sake of others. We will see that in Acts, but that's a different sort of thing going on there. But no, believe it or not, they expected that if you were of wealth, that you would continue to do what you could to stay wealthy. Because as long as you stayed wealthy, there was someone there to help the poor. So the fact this man was wealthy was no problem whatsoever. It's what he didn't do that has him in the netherworld. He refused to see the poor. He did not use his wealth as God intended. Now, not all of us are fabulously wealthy. In fact, precious few of us are fabulous wealthy, if any of us is fabulously wealthy. But you know, after Mass, you're going to go to a house that hopefully has a dry roof. There's going to be food. You know, there's running hot water. Let alone, running water is one thing, running hot water. There's internet. You know, we are wealthy. But we've got to learn to see. We have to do everything we can to acknowledge those around us. You know, and here in downtown Franklin, it is a rare, rare moment when you see a true street person. Very rare. But you know that every night in the city limits of Franklin, Almost 200 people have to sleep in their car. Families, individuals. You know, they've got a car to sleep in. But we don't see them. We don't want to know about them. We don't want to know that they're here. Or, as I was telling someone about being shown where they live and, you know, where they park at night, you know, they said, well, I'd... The only reason I really want to know is so I don't go to that part of town. I get it. I get it. Amos begins by saying, Woe to the complacent in Zion. The people in that northern kingdom that had all kinds of wealth and citizens were starving to death in their streets. Woe to the complacent. Let's live the kind of lifestyle of integrity that Paul talked about so that when we hear this phrase, woe to the complacent, that God is not pointing his finger at us.